we'll go back in time and start the conversation. Yeah, sure. Let's do a pretend start. You're listening to Leader FM, a weekly talk show for intelligent leaders and executive coaches reaching for the next level. Leader FM is hosted by executive coach, Dr. Scott Francis and marketing media man, Tony Creech. This episode of Leader FM is brought to you by Advanced Leadership Coaching and TheCreechLeague.com. This week on Leader FM, Dr. Scott and Tony continue their conversation with longtime leader and graduate leadership professor Dr. Paul Magnus in a huge episode on board governance, structure, and board development. Hello world, you're listening to episode 10. Dr. Scott and I get together regularly to talk leadership and discuss important topics that we know can help you get to your next level. So let's dive in. So good to chat with you again, Dr. Scott. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Tony. Good to see you again. And again this week, we're joined by Dr. Paul Magnus. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you here again. Pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. With such uh, brilliant uh, participants, it's always fun. Thank you. The pleasure is completely ours, believe me. Um, Dr. Magnus, last time you were with us, we discussed leadership in general, planning, host of good stuff. This time, I wanted to dig in more on how that leadership meets the road, and specifically with boards, as they are the top of the food chain, so to speak. And I know you've done lots of work with them. So let me start with this question. When you help an organization with planning and such, board and all, what does that process look like for your method? To, to say what it would take. So I can help an organization answer the health questions in uh, in a day of hard work. It it they can answer that those. Uh, I can help an organization at the board level establish and cradle the the organ the next. Smart goals for the next five, three, five years, whatever their planning horizon is, I can mm-hmm. help them do that. Uh, and, uh, and how long does that take? Typically, that would I could do that in another day. I could get the board there in another day. The issue then is: Have we asked the membership? And I have about five or seven questions that I want to ask a membership. Usually, I'll do a full day with uh, two full days with the board. And we'll we'll spend two and a half hours with the membership and ask the compelling questions that would influence how the board thinks, preferably before, but it rarely happens because the board doesn't trust you yet when you're an outsider. Okay, mm-hmm. so it varies, but uh, mm-hmm. I will start with the board normally because that's the cohesive centerpiece, and uh, then uh, when uh, the board's satisfied with what they really want accomplished, this the I will work with the staff. And uh, normally that would take another full day to, to just to help them get going. I don't have to stay for the finish, but they usually have me come back when and and sort of uh, walk through. So it, it really, at maximum, it would be a four-day process. But unfortunately, you can't get people together for four concentrated days. Mm-hmm. So it means trips. Now, if they want to change... Their polity, like their ruling documents, uh, triple the time. It, it, it's mm-hmm. it, so. So I've helped groups actually change their bylaw, their corporate documents. Like honestly, uh, 
do you think they were written before the foundation of the earth? Because uh, <laughs> they're, they're ties to that extent. That's a hard process, but I've done those. So once they know where they want to go and why they want to go, there's a reason to, to, to change, change that, which they have to change because it would keep them from going the way yeah. they need to go. That's a whole other issue. I like, I've, I had a group I was working with in Toronto. It, I was there four times a year for three years, but I was, I was scratching the back forward. I was, I was having them replow their founding, their founding charter and all of that. Right. Right. It's one of the fun parts about working with startups is it's so pliable. Oh yeah. It's like, what is our foundation? Right. <laughs> it's a kind of And fun. then 50 years from now, they'll all be cursing you <laughs> yes. for writing it the way you did. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually think, and, and I have this piece of advice for starting, because I'm working with two or three groups that are just starting now. Mm-hmm. I say, make sure you write your foundation, make sure you write your uh, letters of, uh, you know, uh, approval to exist as open as you possibly can and your first bylaw as open as the lawyers will let you mm-hmm. because you don't yet know where you're going. But then from the get go, have a separate document that guides the function of each group in an interlinked fashion. Mm-hmm. So that you, what we used to do, we, we'd, we'd do write, you link them in bylaw or you mean, no, just, they're, no, they're, they're linked. It, the oh. bylaw simply says, the board will mm-hmm. have their board. The board will actually have their board. Uh, I usually say their living board document that they keep current all of the time. Mm-hmm. The board manual. The mm-hmm. staff will have their living living staff handbook. If there's mm-hmm. a leadership team between, they they will have one. So that the group has its own, but it has to link to the one that precedes it in the structure. Okay, and that way. You don't convolute things. What happens so often is when an organization starts, mm-hmm. they write a bylaw that that gives assignments to everyone because it's small <laughs> and fledgling. And it says, we're going to have a CEO who does this, and we're going to have a board that does this, says almost nothing about a membership, and the membership give them trouble soon. Mm-hmm. And 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 so so I just say don't legislate for everyone through because you have no idea what they're going to do when you're forming it. So make, keep it as open as you possibly can. Well, I wish you were there to try to convince my parents of that when I was young. <laughs> but um, <laughs> why are in your mind are boards so important for profits or nonprofits? Either way, I know you do lots of nonprofit work. While I'm called to many organizations for multiple reasons, like like staff training, like uh, strategic planning, like team building, like uh, mm. uh, reshaping the organization, I've never been in a setting yet where it hasn't ended in the boardroom. In other words, the block, to future progress or the lift for future progress seems to be in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And the reason is at the end of the day, they have the most power. The members think they do, but they, they, they don't, 
There's usually too many to make many decisions, so they're not given many decisions. So the really heavyweight decisions tend to be made at the board level. I actually think it always ends up there because the organization's function and future is held in trust by a board, no matter what you call yourself, held in trust by a board for a membership. And, you know, this even becomes true of things like... Well, market, I think marketing planning is identical to strategic planning when it's done right. This is another one of those marketing pieces that I personally always, when I speak to them, the fire keeps going up the tree, so to speak. It's like, actually, we need these questions need to be answered if you want to successfully market this. And so we need now we need to go into the exec room. Now we need to go into the boardroom because planning in general, it isn't aligned there. Then you're, you're creating mixed messages. You're creating confusion in a confused state. And uh, how do you what's that, how do you pronounce that word again? That uh, vu, the vo- volatile VUCA. Yeah, in a VUCA state. Yes. Well, a bifurcated organization, which it, which is the opposite of integrated, mm-hmm. simply means that you've created the organization to not be one. And oftentimes, that's in the structure. It's in the structure. It's in the structure, and it's often in the boardroom. In fact, there's a very serious case of it in the boardroom. And when people do not understand board, they they wreck the thing. Literally, they just wreak havoc with it. Mm -hmm. Now I'll be passionate, so I'll stop. (laughs) No, that's good. I'd love to see like a 4DX kind of a book or like an execution related book for boards specifically. Like, you know, we read some board books, but I like the health analogy. It helps me look at things from a tone perspective, places where a lot of all parts of my brain are firing, not just, you know, analytical stuff. So I can say something's wrong here and say, it's okay to think something's wrong, but you look at uh, what board health looks like. And I, and like a lot of stuff on the show where I, where I keep saying it's about, you know, we're people. That's why health yeah. matters. Yeah. That for boards to execute well, you have to take into those, pe- the, the you know, taken health and people and emotions. And I see boards that because of their board structures, I, maybe I'll just remove because there's elements to it. Like they have the structure, they have their time, their meetings, they have the way they relate that whether it's a founder or a non-founder, all these issues come together to make a board unproductive in some way and, and to make board a board that will maybe because they just don't feel like they know enough. So they will just say yes, <laughs> or they just, you know, they rarely, they don't, when they feel like they don't know enough, you don't say no. Well, typically I think the board, <laughs> the board's biggest mistake yeah. is they don't know why they exist. And consequently they're thinking far too late. Mm. they do the thinking last so they live by proposals so you you, you have boards yeah. thinking that they should act on proposals that a smart leader has figured out and will come and bring it now no matter how bad you know no matter how they sure uh, sure they are of of um, what's coming they never like to say no to their leader because they're at risk. And the, the, mm-hmm. the elephant in the boardroom is that 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 if you you think you're always thinking, how do we not lose that leader's energy? 
Okay. Well, mm-hmm. the elephant in the, the room CEO. is the one CEO. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then when a proposal comes, a board can, a board knows they'd prefer to say no, but they'll say yes because they don't want to. They're riding the elephant, and and personally, they might feel like, well, I really, I I just flew in here today. I talked to this person. I had ten minutes with this. Yeah, and you know, he's a good guy or she's a good lass. So co- proposals call for thinking too late, mm. and I would say that that, that when when here's what drove me crazy because mm. I've worked for boards. I was the mm. CEO of a national board for or the chair of the. Yeah of the national board for a while while being CEO of an organization so I could feel both sides. But here's my sense. I think actually boards feel like that they they have three choices. Yes, no, maybe. Now maybe drove me crazy as a CEO. Like <laughs> I was climbing walls upside and down, and you could wait for an entire year because yes. there were intervals between board meetings, and we're sitting and waiting. And be, uh-huh. by the time they answer, especially with that organization, because I know how long those intervals are. By, by, oh, by the time that org, by the time the board decided, oh, opportunity lost. Not just lost. Somebody else bought it. Uh-huh. Someone else did it. They got the, they they knew you were presenting. Someone told them from your board uh, that they, yeah, they were yeah. out there saying, "Oh, they're going to do this, whatever." But you don't have approval. <laughs> By the time you do, three other enterprises started them. Mm-hmm. Drove me crazy. Oh, uh. drove me crazy. But <laughs> forgive me, I'm still alive and I'm still sane. So yep. it pressed me to the edge of <laughs> lunatic fringe. I would call it. <laughs> That's all. Uh, you know. So, but what you're saying is that the board needs to be out in front. Of, oh, okay. That, so, yeah, so how do you solve the problem of those three I questions? I solve this problem by by helping a board craft the, I, around 10 principles. So there's 10 key governance principles, which I won't share today because we don't have time. <laughs> and I will also say the board has four main jobs. Each has a couple parts. Carver, Carver, and Carver. Just kidding. <laughs> and I will say that what you have to do... No, it's it's seriously adapted, Carver. Yeah. Because I think that people who marry to Carver are, 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 are missing a couple ingredients that make all the difference. But that's sort of off to the side. Yeah. But I think that they have to establish the outside bowls, if you like, of corporate direction, strategic direction, Mm -hmm. but they have to settle that ahead. Once they've settled those clear targets for the next stretch, staff always, the CEO can always be doing strategic planning until that's owned by the board and clear by the board. They don't know what the board wants. Mm. Okay, so that... When the one of the governance principles is that a board has to stop speaking when uh, they know their CEO, the smart CEO they have hired, can continue speaking with clarity. Mm. You stop when your CEO can take it away. Just stop. Why, why would you go further? 
So you adjust your boundary based on the experience and readiness level. So one is strategic direction. Another one is how the board governs. The board has to know how it governs itself. It has to know how to manage itself. The board also has to know with, with clarity, with sharp clarity, how they will lead their leader. How will they lead their leader so that leader is is monitored so that leader stays resilient so that leader stays nurtured how will they lead that person but the leader has to know how they will lead so this is health this is pure mm-hmm. health and finally they need empowering boundaries now this is where i differ very much with john carver okay mm-hmm. i'll just say it i like john mm-hmm. and i'm not married to john nor his wife, but I, I like John because he has pushed us toward clarity. I prefer the the language of empowering boundaries because you see the whole one of the key principles is that a board will stop speaking when their CEO is ready to start. Mm-hmm. So you have to empower them so they can speak. So empowering boundaries simply means you put the boundary around resources. Cause, and, mm-hmm. and one of the resources is a strategic plan. So while the board actually establishes the outside boundaries of, of, of and, and smart, primary smart goals for the next horizon of planning, mm-hmm. they should expect a strategic action plan. And then... All they have to do is ask their leader when, when, when he's giving his reports. Okay, is this in compliance with the strategic plan? The boundary is the strategic plan. You put the action in. We put the, we put the starting goals in. But is this? Are you in compliance? Mm-hmm. Another key resource is finance. So, is this in compliance? And I, one of the what what I do is I say. Well, it's silly to to look at the detailed budget for boards and staff and memberships every year. I mean, frankly, you 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 start dealing with nickels and dimes, and you'd think you're a for-profit organization when you aren't, because you obsess around the budget details. But does it? Do, do you have advanced thought-through policies that say, "Look, build the budget any way you want, but we would like." Two percent. We would like a two percent buffer. In other words, it's not just no color, no wrong coloring, but two percent. Just because we don't know what will come, so have a two percent beyond budget. I I always said you should also have a an innovations budget. So we. While I was in leadership, we actually had an innovations budget because you can't, you know, otherwise you can't do the strategic plan because the budget is always built on last year. So we had an innovations budget. They approved it. So that was waiting there when something emerges? Well, no, it was actually built because we knew what was in the strategic plan. We knew... We so knew. what things fall underneath that budget line for innovation? Hmm? What, what things would fall well, on the innovations the things, budget line? Things like... 
Okay, things like new initiatives that we discovered. This is this is the lead measures yep. that we researched to be making a bigger difference than we were with what was already in existence, which was what was already in the action plan. So it was the leverage that we had actually to live by, though I didn't have the language yet because Patrick Lencioni had written his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it was an attempt to lead with lead measures. So we were always checking to see what would what activities would produce better results. Mm. Toward our toward the, the the goals, and do you mean we, I, I mean Cavi not Lencioni? <laughs> Lead measures is from Forty X, right? Yeah. Okay. No, and oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, uh, Jean right. Cavi, and sorry. Uh, yes, my my error. Uh, <laughs> the two best books, 2012, was Patrick Lencioni, The Advantage, and 2014, my estimation, the best leadership book out there. Uh, the four disciplines of execution. So I was referring to the four disciplines yeah. of execution. And I like that one because it can almost be, you can almost use it as a system to review. Yes. This is it's the whole system for your organization to change yes. how you do meetings. Yes. Because sometimes you just need to stop and say, let's, we're going to use this other plan for how we run a meeting yes, yes. based on these strategic goals. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I would say, See, this is where the board has to do its hard thinking, mm. because this is where all the proposals come. They come around. Mm-hmm. The proposals come because the board wants to ask, so how many pennies are you going to spend on that? <laughs> it gets to pennies. Happened in a meeting I was in not long ago. I almost climbed up the wall. I said, <laughs> let's just give a percentage here and run or something. But, 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 and that and that financial oversight doesn't matter if you haven't done really hard work around what's wildly important and that helps you know and percentages there are safe safer because yeah. you know like what how important things are not in when you're looking at proposals you're approving dollar amounts and that can and again you have emotional components to that I feel like there's there's certain lack of literature around certain kinds of board functionality because yes. of I mean sometimes for some, sometimes there's because there's a, a mess of legal stuff with yeah. also how you run a su- successful organization. When you look at models for delegation, like we're one of our last episodes was on delegation, and it feels like when you change anything, you what do you what's what's wrong with what I'm doing? Like is going to be the trigger that you're creating. Well, for, for me, delegation fits the. The empowering boundary situation. Yeah. Because you see, you delegate what the leader is ready to take. Mm-hmm. So you put the boundary where the leader where the leader is ready. If you trust your leader, your CEO, you put the boundary. So that's true for uh, mm. you. One of your boundary best boundaries is yeah. the strategic plan. It's a resource. Another is finance. Another is facility. Mm-hmm. I think another is your networks. And partnerships. Do you have boundaries around networks and partnerships? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, I I just, especially in nonprofits, that's exactly. And then with with faith based nonprofits, it's extremely relevant. And then of course HR, human resource. What are the boundaries? Like, Mm. who hires when, and how many how many meetings do you have to call in order, whatever? But it just Mm. it it that should be clearly put out ahead. And it can be. It is. It is. But I would say a resource to help people. See, you asked, is there mm-hmm. something out there? Is there something out there to help 
the health piece mm-hmm. for boards? My answer to the question is, uh, and, and it's not John Carver. John Carver, it, 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 John Carver has the model. Mm-hmm. John Carver has the principles, etc. Very, very helpful. That's the structure. That's that's really the structure. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. The principles and the structure. John Carver doesn't show you how to deliver on it. The two authors co-labored, uh, uh, Laughlin and Andringa, and they wrote the book Good Governance. Okay, the Good Governance book tells you tells you all of what should be in this board policy health manual. I call mm-hmm. it. This is your health manual. Yeah, and uh, and. Um, and I love what they they do. They have the outline. They have everything. The one exception I make to what's there is I use the the language of empowering boundary. And I think mm-hmm. I'm probably alone in that. They use limitations. I, the wor- limitations, in my estimation, is one sided. Mm-hmm. It's one sided, and I always want to think. The nature How of the word is negative. the leader for that? It's based on delegation. Delegation is not linked on what I want to be. It, it often is. It shouldn't be. Delegation, I, I used to want to delegate because I wanted to be rid of something. But delegation, in essence, is giving to people what they're ready for, where they can shine. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done that with the leaders. So we still have them writing proposals. And, 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 and they're sick of doing that. Like they are, it drives them crazy, mm-hmm. especially when they have to wait. I think maybe one of those pieces is the willingness of the board to do the hard work to look at their leader and to ask, "What what is this person ready for?" Yes, yes, yes. And that's that could be hard. Well, getting clarity on that and yeah. and owning the responsibility to lead the leader—that's the other piece of language. The board leads the leader. The board governs the organization and leads the leader. Mm-hmm. They don't lead the staff. They don't lead a team; they mm. lead a leader. Okay, if you get that, then you're now. I'm building alignment into the conversation, also, because both by being uh, both being on boards and being um, on an exec team, where I felt like, man, the 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 all the great stuff in this board is not being utilized here, and it's like yeah. sometimes because of the stru- structure, the situation, I, I feel like the. It's on the exec team to use that time of the board to get what they can out of them. Yeah. And maybe that's because of the, you know, and that's, <clears throat> is there like, you know, you use situational theory yeah. with people and, and, and I think there's ways in which you're, you use situational theory within groups, within the organization yeah. and in governance levels. And there's like a, there's like a situational theory for boards and for where they, where the boards at. Yeah, where the boards at, and and that's yeah. with the founding of an organization, whether you're whether you're NGO or not, like whether you're a, so, a nonprofit or not. So I can help an organization figure out where they should be. I'll build them the with the health <laughs> piece. The first thing, the if you if and when you give it to them and leave the room, the first thing they want to do is is go back to edit mode, which is what we did with proposals. See, we review, Mm -hmm. and what we don't like, we throw away. I say, wrong, wrong. You need every bit of this. It's here because your chair and vice chair, when I was, uh, and I'll never write something without the key leaders of that group being part of the steering team that does it. Mm -hmm. So we write it, 
that we pull it together and I say, well, could are the is the board ready? Do they need this or don't they? <laughs> and they'll say, oh, they need it in spades. Just we get it in there. So I want to make <laughs> the document a little briefer and compacted. But but the people who are trying to lead and manage the board say, we we need even go. We want one more layer of clarity. <laughs> okay, what does that say? So then, because they're in the habit of thinking backward, that's what I say. So proposal thinking is thinking too late or thinking backward. In thinking forward, which we need to do, you need to put the boundary out there and then learn to live it. So so the question I said, I just told this board, I just finished telling them that did that. So uh, someone already added about half of it away. And that's the person that needs it the most. <laughs> and I said, I said, you're going the wrong way completely. And you have your old habit at work, which means you need the disciplines, the four disciplines. Mm -hmm. You need to become disciplined. But the only way you're going to do that is first you have to understand. Then you have to want to. And knowing how to is all written here. Mm-hmm. Just join the team, the board, this board acted and made the decision that they were going to be a governing board. Join it. Mm -hmm. But figure out how you can join it. That's the most important question. That's why we wrote as many layers as we did is to help you figure out how. And in all leadership, that is at its crux, uh, a personal question. Yes, it is. Because they're actually people yes. that are part of these things. And so that person being healthy yes, yes. is essential. If the person isn't healthy, they'll react. <laughs> now, the place where boards haven't done any work, so you asked the question before mm -hmm. about health. Yeah. So, so, so when I then get to the strategic section, mm -hmm. I just put, here's what I do. I would... In the strategic section, our team, the steering team, won't write anything except an outline. So we now use Patrick Lencioni's outline, and yep. about then we end with the SMART goals, which is mm. the, the, the goals forward, the primary goals forward that we want the board. Like It's like pulling teeth to get the board. They've never thought that way. They've never thought that way. Mm -hmm. So they thought behind, not ahead. See? Behind, not ahead. It's too late thinking. The board's not thinking ahead. So mm -hmm. your experience of a board, my experience of a board was, they're not thinking, period. <laughs> they're just reacting. They're reacting. Yeah. They're just reacting. So and they have a little, to instead a of reacting a to watch, They're reacting like a chess game where the buzzer's been hit yep, and time's yep. rolling. Yep. And so there's yeah. a certain amount of stress. So I uh, to see this all the way through, just to press to the end degree. So you have the clear, this is how you behave. All right? Now, that you know how, so the leader of the board, the board manager is the board chair. And that person knows what room they have to keep people on side. In fact, I say mm. probably the vice chair should be the disciplinarian so that the person... Doesn't have to do <laughs> like too much. With. Care. Yep, and and have uh, whatever tool you need for that. So wait, uh, vice chairs. I'm a vice chair, yeah, so yeah. disciplinarian. That's yeah. that's what I look like, right? Yeah, that's okay. how I come across. <laughs> that's great. So so, but yeah. but here's here's what I say to the chair. Look, to to become really disciplined in this, whenever you prepare an agenda, create 
create an agenda with five frames in it. Frame one, board development. Because you see, okay, here's the issue. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with people who have to become a team. Mm-hmm. So in addition to them knowing what's expected, how to do it, all of that, which you put into your document, they still have to become a team. It's like the in, it's like the, it's just like the leader has to be resilient as a person in order to lead with resilience. If the leader isn't resilient, they're not going to function well in influencing. They're not going to function well in drawing people toward. Uh, they're not going to function well with process. They're not going to function well with clear purpose forward. So th- this is the, they have to become a team. Mm-hmm. So for every on every agenda, I suggest they have team build a team building component that's always part of the agenda. Secondly, a strategic direction component. Okay, mm-hmm. otherwise they do all the important future talking once and leave it, and you're never thinking about the future. And then the CEO is doing that again. So strategic direction component means not reacting to proposed strategic direction from the CEO, but them looking forward. They're together. always thinking about what's next, but mm-hmm. they're not. They're not. They're not plugging all of it in until they do the next, the right yeah. next level of planning. But I suggest you update your in strategic planning. You have a three-year horizon. Mm-hmm. You're always you're planning fairly tightly for one year, but the year to follow, uh, you leave open enough that. You, you're continuing to influence that by your thinking mm-hmm. because you, the whole idea is that we get smarter as we work together. So, so then there's so this, is that now is that a, a open question? Like, like because oftentimes the board uh, when they have their agenda, it's based around issues. Yeah, ones we brought back from the last one and and new issues and whatnot. I actually say there's not, should be nothing on the agenda that isn't part of their job. So if their job is strategic direction, it should be on the agenda. Now, figuring out what to put there and not right. somewhere else. Secondly, they need to they need to get better at their governance process and development. There's an agenda. In fact, they should evaluate every board member as strenuously as they do their as they evaluate their CEO. They should model that. So one day I was chair of the board of a national organization, president of the institution. And I came back, uh, I came back to the institution and I, I thought to myself, you know, I wish that this other board would do this. And I said, well, I wish this board, the board that was over me in the institution would do this. I always said, oh, now I can take that I'm going to do that with the other board. So it was a beautiful <laughs> opportunity to actually, you know, practice what I was preaching to myself, mm-hmm. self-talk. So what? one of the things I started to do is before we had an in-camera with the CEO, when we just excused him, I said, look, no, no, we should not expect what we don't model. Mm. So I'm leaving the room. You're going to do a collective assessment of my leadership of you as a board first. And then we'll go to the CEO. Now, so an in, in camera that, without the chairman. In camera with I was the chairman, and okay. in camera. So the vice chair usually navigated that meeting. The, and the CEO was in there. He could be in there because he was. I no. Mm-hmm. Then then I went one further. <clears throat> so so what do you do in board development? Well, 
We're trying to head on for board members, but more than that, we're trying to get better at governing. Well, why wouldn't we then assess how every member's doing? So when I, I, I was leaving for a couple of years, I would leave and and they would do an assessment of me and and we they would still do the in-camera we all did, and then I was chairing the in-camera with the CEO. But we've see, we've done that a few years. So I had three categories, commendations, suggestions, recommendations. They used that on me, all right? I'm good, because they had seen it done. I was leading that when I was doing the CEO, but now it's applied to me. It, it feels different, and it's good for me. It was good for me. But it also modeled something for the CEO, because now we did that. But I said, after about a year and a half of that, I said, now we're going to do the same thing with the members around this table as being done with myself. At every meeting, we're going to do two of you. We're going to do an in-camera because you should know how the rest of the board think you're functioning and contributing to the building of this team and the function of this team. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of guys, they just withered. <laughs> they crawled right under imagine. their table. Yeah. I said, I'm going to give you a warning. <laughs> The next time it'll be these two people, and for this reason, because their term is coming to an end, and we want it together evaluate so they know whether they should or shouldn't let their name stand on, or so we know whether we should or shouldn't mm-hmm. have their name standing again. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you know the assessment piece acts as a strategic trigger because if you ask that question, like how how will we assess them? You see holes in their understanding of oh. what their job is to be there. And in nonprofit boards, that can be quite the misty. I mean, it's a misty question even in for-profit boards sometimes. So, Oh, like, like guys were shocked. Like we had a, we, I better be careful what I say because they might <laughs> listen in on this. But, uh, but uh, we, we once had, we were overrepresented from the legal world. Mm. There, they had been trying to get a legal person on the board, but not to be our legal counsel. But the moment a person who's legal, they're lawyers mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. accountants or such, when they come on a board, they often think that they are they're the specialist on that. And as soon as you start talking about the budget, then their influence is disproportionate. Mm-hmm. But but lawyers they they want to they want to bring the law in even before you've read any you know potential <laughs> future. They want to make it illegal or or <laughs> legal. What they they want to rule. Like that's their habit. There. They need a ruling. <laughs> and it's the, and it's their area of influence and where it, they can have disproportionate influence. But, but, so that you but, but they do have, mm-hmm. and they don't realize the rest of the board's totally frustrated with them. Like <laughs> I, I, I was stopping them. First of all, I did it privately. I said, you're going to have to wait with your stuff because people aren't talking anymore, but they did it. They still kept doing it. And we had two of them. And then when the two gang, <laughs> the rest would always defer to them. I said, I, so I, after I'd done it privately, I said, look, we're, actually breaking down one of the most critical principles of governance, which is that a board needs to figure out how to become one voice. Many voices becoming one voice. So that when we leave this room, we all speak as one voice, or we don't speak at all. And I said, we have two members and I've tried to counsel them privately, but I don't think they understand. But what just happened here shut down all dialogue and conversation. We didn't become one. 
two people actually silenced us. And if I were going to be real tough, I would say, with their expertise, bullied us to silence. That never happened again. No. Did they stay on the board? Like, like they stayed on the board. Was, they stayed on the board. Conversation because I'd had two conversations with them. I just needed the other board members though to know that they shouldn't allow themselves to be shut down. So when it came time to evaluate, okay, you asked, are they still on the board? The one, the one never did it again, ever. The other person, at the time of evaluation, it was so obvious that the board were, say, were really totally weary of that. And it kind of came through, but not mean, not even slightly mean. They were mm -hmm. very affirming on things, mm -hmm. but it was very objectively done. And I always say, if you're going to have a real strong recommendation, you meet, need... You need to think even twice as hard about commendations because you have you're not trying to kill the person, lose the person. You want them to feel valued, but their but their behavior has to change if you need change. So so uh, uh, one person actually volunteered. They said, you know, I don't know, I can't. I, it isn't in me to dialogue. It's in me to rule. Hmm. That's like a T-shirt. Well, here's but, but, a bumper sticker. So, so here I just I'll edit a book for you right now. Uh -huh. So I love Patrick Lencioni, so I have to say that before I say this because I'm about to edit one of Patrick's. Patrick says there's five dysfunctions of a team. I say there are six. The biggest challenge to teamwork isn't lack of trust. The biggest challenge to teamwork, which is the ground piece, is that people come onto a team thinking they're invited there because they have specialized expertise and that they will always rule there with an independent spirit around their expertise. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with boards. It's the bottom line. So they never do learn to become cohesive. They never learn to become a team. And so I think the most serious dysfunction of a team actually is that the person's thinking wrongly about being on that team. They're thinking that when it comes to their expertise, that is what has to be pushed no matter what. So they're kind of representative, and then you never have good dialogue. Same thing with leaders running an exec team where they let their exec team members become the expert if they, yeah. they, they start deferring. Yes. themselves yes and that's that that oh it's like the evils of expertise it's like yes, the, yes. it kills curiosity yes because yes, 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 yes you're not allowed to be curious about something because the finance guy's there to tell you well this is how it is and so so then somebody like me who's not a finance guy then my the important questions that i could come with my weird marketing slant on the numbers and we, we deal with numbers a lot too but there's some finance places where I would you could start to be curious, and the but the expert shuts you down, and then now that the, they're like the gateway into that topic, right? Well, you see, that's why you you have to, you have to kind of outsmart your own systems. That's why in my time of leadership, I actually wanted a, an innovations budget because otherwise, the, yeah. the, otherwise that dimension of the organization, either at board level or at 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 leadership team level it would overrule that that it, it over it, they had too much power because there was there was no money for 
curiosity. Yep. There was no yeah. money for yeah. exploration. There was no money for experimentation. There was no money to test to see if there were better lead measures out there mm -hmm. and better lead uh, activities out there that would give us better measured results. Mm -hmm. you, you couldn't experiment. You could never, you could never... To be, guys, to be innovative in itself, it has to, it can't, it's not a piece of your strategic plan because that's your strategic plan. You need to allow for some things outside there to be explored, right? I mean, it, truly, Liz Wiseman's bottom line in her book, Rookie Smarts, her bottom line is that the wise people, seasoned and wise people who have years and years of experience, she assumed they would seriously outsmart rookies, but they don't. Rookies outsmart. The season. Seven years of research. Rookies outsmart the seasoned because the seasoned are no longer curious. The seasoned no longer use questions. They already have the answers. Mm -hmm. The seasoned never draw. They push. They, they push their truth out there. They don't draw. They don't use questions. They don't invite... Mm -hmm. They don't invite the tangential. Mm. So yeah. uh, Tony's telling us he brought off the wall kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, it, okay. Uh, I have another thing to say eventually about that in the way of governing, but off to the side, I'll simply say that's the other reason why while I was in leadership, I had the operations leadership team and the futures team. Now, mm. see, the futures team could shape ways of spending the innovation money. If you don't have any innovation money, your futures team's worth a hoot because mm -hmm. they can't do anything. They can't experiment. They can't come up with test drives. Mm -hmm. It's all exhausted on real drive. And the car might not work anymore, but they're not, you can't build a better one because you're not mm -hmm. experimenting. So. so a big theme that's coming up here is the whole learning culture. Oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're obviously we're we're hugely invested in that. But Paul, I mean, you're one of the people, Doctor Magnus, who I think is a great example of kind of what you're talking about. Where you, where you're, you know, the way you, the way you present yourself, the way you teach, the way you come at teaching, even as such a seasoned person, that you're. It seems like one of your life goals is to not be that the seasoned expert who won't learn and who pushes. Maybe the most beneficial and least known resource out there is written by Joyner and Jones, and it's called The Agility of Leadership. They studied the percentage of success, the percentage of people in each of six categories. Just like Jim Collins, Jim Collins has his five levels of leadership. They did an exhaustive kind of study. And they concluded that there are many pre-professional leaders. In fact, they have a percentage. That is, they don't have expertise. They end up being leaders not by virtue of their leadership prowess or their leadership expertise, but they mm -hmm. become leaders by virtue of something else that they did. Like a medical doctor. In the mm -hmm. medical system, a medical doctor might actually be, work their way to the CEO position, but they, have, they don't know about leader. leadership. They it happens know a lot medicine. with engineers. It happens there. It happens well in in the in the academy. In educational institutions are riddled with people. Are you talking? 
Are you talking about people that have leadership, people sense leadership stuff about them? Or are you talking about experts who get the They're, pass into leadership? These leaders are chosen to lead enterprises, not because they knew anything about leadership. Because of expertise. They had no expertise. They had different expertise. Okay. And, there, and there's a wide array and we're floundering there. Like, because they don't So like have, in academic institutions, you you're totally, in charge because you're- You taught well. You know, Totally. And, and and so, it, no fault of the person. They're just assigned because of doing something else well. And so, there's a high risk of not having expertise. Mm-hmm. But then they say, okay, about, I think it's the 90 percentile range. 90% of people leading believe they're leading because of their expertise. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's what they think then they're the answer people, not the question people. If that's what they think, everyone else should stop. Scott, you have, to, you have to run into this a lot with executive coaching, I'm guessing, because if you brought in to coach somebody who's been just, if it's a new hire kind of coaching, it's they're probably in there thinking, well, I'm here because of this, and let's yeah. bring out the answers. One of the biggest challenges that I bump into is when you're brought in uh, as a gift, Yes, to yes. somebody else, yes. you know, and uh, and and you, so you bump into that individual who isn't ready for the learning yet. Yeah, um, oftentimes when there is that pain point, mm. then they're ready to learn. Well, <laughs> but you're you're bang on right. You bump into that, and so often it's the ego, but it's also assumption. Like people have been taught that when they know, when they have the expertise, they know. And they know the most. It's still the strong man theory of leadership that's influencing that. Okay. But then they work their way up and they say, okay, you are this, you are this expert. You do know how, no question. But if you press that bar, you're you're not you, you will actually lose followership. You will you'll lose followership in spades because you're not you've forgotten that you're influencing people. You've forgotten that it's people who have to move mm-hmm. and not your knowledge that has to go out there, but people who have to move. So then, so the next step in, in his sequence is he says they have to be agile. Though It's not that you don't need expertise, but you have to move beyond that expertise and become agile in, in being able to manage. So then he goes to, uh, you know, quality management with shared goals, just with shared goals. So they they're strategic. They have strategic goals that then manage the people, so to speak. Mm. And but he says now we have to move to where they become catalysts, and then and then they co-creators. He says co-creator about about two percent of leaders today are co-creators, mm. and only and less than one percent are synergists. That is, they bring synergy on a team. Mm. They just bring synergy. My dream, gentlemen, the longer I live, the older I become, my dream in trying to teach uh, and and be in a, a, an environment is that we are fellow learners and co-creators of, of, of a future way of doing and thinking about leadership. Mm. And if we have synergy in doing that, then then I want to bow my knee twice at the end of the course. Just giving them the stuff, the knowledge, simple. It's it's there written. It it's written. It's written. 
I give I I start a course with the very best thing written on the subject being read by the student. I don't keep any of it back, so I'd have something else smart to say that they haven't read. I want to hear from them what they've read and how they interpreted it and, and their their view on it, which 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 changes everything. And yes. I think so when, when it comes to governing, I think that the board needs to be thinking ahead, but also needs to be inspiring their leader, their leader to be resilient enough to be constantly thinking ahead as opposed to so the strategic conversation has to stay alive the the governing how they govern they need to evaluate each other they need to evaluate the chair all of that but it's part of governing and they need to be searching for the very best future people but that's all part of the job of the board that should be on the board agenda they need to be thinking about how they better empower their ceo or if you like uh uh Bring, have a, a CEO who's resilient and nurtured and cared for, but also monitored. So it's within the reality zone. And finally, are the empowering boundaries right? We're always reviewing those. Like, so we get, we, then we get requests. So even when you have an empowering boundary that says, just keep hiring, the leader's scared to hire certain kinds of people. So they may consult. That's fine. They can consult, but we dare not crowd their space as soon as i was said to my leader my uh, uh, um, management leadership management team is what we called it when i was the president mm. the leadership management team i said anything you bring to the board they'll deal with don't bring it if it's not their domain you need to know what they should have and what they shouldn't have but don't ever go there with anything that doesn't process with me because I want to let you know what should or shouldn't go there. And I did that because some of them were still taking things to the board for action. So the way we set it up is we said... Because you, you were part of the transition, right? I, well, I brought the transition yeah. with... Uh, I brought Lof, uh, Andringa in, actually, yeah. for part of the making of the transition. Mm. But what we did, the st my vice presidents, we they were in a staff gallery. They were in a staff gallery. They weren't, they weren't board members. And uh, and uh, whenever uh, I thought they had expertise, I would invite them to speak beyond what I had to say. Uh, but they were not. Uh, they weren't. Uh, but they they could always give me all kinds of thunder before, during, and after the board meeting if I didn't represent the truth rightly. That was mm -hmm. the beauty of having them there. I really I like the staff gallery. That's being it being an executive in a staff gallery. Like being in that, I really liked it. It really helped me understand. Can you explain that for our listeners if they've never, like, like what you're describing at the board? There's a board meeting there with the CEO or the president. Uh, the executive team is there as part of a gallery. So you, I might, I might, I go up and I talk about a bit of my area. So they're not just hearing the president's voice; they're hearing his deputy on it and getting a sense. And that gives them the instantaneously just by me talking, they can feel what the organization feels like, not just through him. And I can witness what they say to him, what he says to them. It gives me a lot more sense of, is the board behind this? Is like, where, where are we at? It gives them a chance to interact with me. And, um, but on, on grounds that are, because it's in the meeting, it's, it's run through purpose and it's, it's not wild hat. It's not parking lot. It's boardroom and getting to be on that changes 
how I see the president, how I see them, how I see this, how I see the the organization. Yeah, I think that you know, for me, the gallery was a group of people with high expertise that was specialized. That that, um, and those people resourced me really and made it easier for me to get the truth and the clarity out mm-hmm. to the board. But it also held me accountable in a different way. When I came back, they knew what the board had said, so I couldn't trick them or mm-hmm. or re frame but they weren't board members like the, the, when 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 uh when in camera sessions were conducted they were excused when uh mm-hmm. when the board was adjusting its policy position where its policies were they weren't involved they so so uh they were a staff galley, uh, gal- gallery uh, and uh, sat that way and they were that not to be exclusive even slightly, but simply to say this is the board and there's things that a board should address and there's things that the CEO and staff team should be addressing. So the people that I brought on to that were were my leadership management team. So they were on in the gallery and it it was helpful having them there. I think normally I I press hard to tell the decisive truth but it, it I was going to say it would it helped keep me honest when I wanted to shift <laughs> it a little but it also in particular uh, I think gave uh, that group a sense of reality and truth but beyond that I actually think it built the strength the, the strength the confidence the competence of the staff gallery just to watch the process but one of the things that I don't think boards often do, and I think they start consolidating too much, they don't have enough open strategic conversations. They don't actually have enough open strategic conversations in the process. And they don't because the agenda's too long. There's too many details for them to deal with. And they tackle things that they shouldn't be because they don't know what their they've forgotten what their job is. So our board chair, when we first made the transition, he said to me, "Do me a favor." He said, "Go out and buy hats. Have a have a governance hat. Have a volunteer hat." And uh, he said, "The third one's so rare, don't bother." <laughs> because in the way we presented moving in this direction to the board, we we had talked about the different hats the board members have to wear. He said, "Go get some. So go get get me three hats." <laughs> and he and we did. And so whenever, uh, he didn't have to say anything at all. Whenever someone started delving into management space, he'd just put on the hat, volunteer. The volunteer hat? You're volunteering information. And the rest (laughs) of the board would roar, and the person who keeps talking would put up his hand and say, well, what do I do now? And the chair would keep the hat on until they were quiet. When they took it off, just so he knows, Mm -hmm. he knew. He was he was having a hard time making the transition, but you need disciplines like that and habits like that to change your ways, or you go back to the old one. You just go back to the old edit model, and so when you speak as a team member, you'd mm-hmm. bring something. They'd want to shoot questions at you immediately, and when they do shoot questions at you, they also want to start telling you what to do before you're done, and and mm-hmm. that's not their space. Now they're just giving advice. They're not they're not actually not governing. governing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that was something we did. 
<laughs> now, here's a question. As we've been talking about boards over the arc of our conversation, it seems like a lot of your work centers around nonprofits. And while there are a few important differences in motivations, at least for nonprofit boards and uh, for-profit boards and who they're responsible to, in your opinion, how much of this stuff that we've been chatting about um, how much of this in your experience translates across that profit, nonprofit line? I would say this is for uh, boards of enterprises that want to grow past about um, uh, 100 people, whether it's a church and not-for-profit or even a, a for-profit organization. There may be other shareholder nuances, etc., but I'm still completely convinced that the rules of good governance would help any group do governance with integrity. Mm. The principles are transferable to any board at any time. The frame that is what we put into each of the four categories uh, would uh, would would have more or less depth depending on context. Yeah. So having worked in in the in the church, very often they 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 have a founding individual who sort of rules everything for a stretch, and the same is true in a not for profit. Like, but but they're not a governing board then. Like our institution started, it had a board of administration, but that was mostly internal people. That, and then they had a few external people. They mixed them all up. Well, it got confusing when they got bigger. So you can't grow past a certain size until you actually align with integrity and move the the appropriate governance space per part of the overall structure because they're all governing they're all governing the leadership team mm-hmm. governs the oh, whatever the next team is and then each of the teams govern but what's what they hold in common is what's integrated up here and it's usually the health piece and then the next phase of development piece and and so my view is there is really only one way to do quality governance. What the ingredients are in that varies per group just a little bit. So like the, the church, they want a little more spiritual piece in it. You know, they, they, they have to talk about how you pray six times before you start strategic planning because God has to tell them and one thing or another. But but they always want little nuances, but they're just nuances. They still they they still fit the overarching board job description. And if 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 you don't want to go that deep, you still need the ten principles of governance that I think Carver puts out for us. In fact he did most of his work for the healthcare system that was most poorly governed of anything in the whole world, they had concluded. And so he he started lecturing across the country before he wrote anything. 
So I have a whole lot of his presentations from before he had written anything. And he did. He was at uh, University of Athabasca, where where he had done a whole series. I actually went there to hear him, so I watched <laughs> him grow in it. But uh, that's just an aside. I yeah. think he has helped us tremendously. There was governance before Carver and governance after. He's like the Freud of governance. It's it, totally, totally. Hmm. There was psychology before Freud and psychology after Freud. There was Plato philosophy. There was before Plato and after Plato. Hmm. Categorical change right there. Pivotal person. You're trying to govern your father in a cave. (laughs) Anyway, done. I should go. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't realize how much time I had taken. My goodness. I never looked at my watch. We're just, uh, we got lots. We have that effect on people. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul. If anybody uh, wants to reach you, where's the best, what's the best way for them to reach you? Get a hold of you. My email. Just my email address pmagnus at briarcrest.ca well from a couple of your past students we'd like to thank you for getting involved here yes thank you Dr. Magnus and thank you ladies and gentlemen for joining us this week you can find our guest Dr. Paul Magnus again on Twitter at PJ Magnus um, you can find Scott at advancedleadership.biz on Twitter he is at leaderadvance I am on Twitter at thecreech you can find me at thecreechleague.com or thecreech.net. Please send in all your comments and questions and stories to leader.fm. You'll see the contact form there. And if you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. That helps. Thank you, Dr. Magnus and Dr. Scott. It was a ball.